0: You know, unless you've gone to our website, chathamchristian.org, you probably don't know that we have an official slogan. And if you're not sure what a slogan is, I've got a definition I looked up. It's a phrase expressing the aim or nature of an enterprise, organization, or candidate. A motto. A slogan is usually emblazoned everywhere on stationery, advertising trinkets, billboards, banners, and, of course, websites. Obviously, a slogan is not all that important to us. In fact, we just came up with it because we thought the website needed one. That said, what's expressed in our slogan is very important. And it's my prayer that it is true. Our slogan is, Where God's Word is Taught and Lived. Where God's Word is Taught and Lived. I think that's a good slogan for Chatham Christian Church. I I really like it, even though we don't use it all that much. I guess we're not... Just all that into slogans. But I do hope what's written on our webpage is true. I hope that Chatham Christian Church is not only a church where God's Word is taught, but a church where it is lived as well, and not just on Sundays. I hope our slogan is not just a meaningless tagline used to decorate a website. I hope it's not just empty words or empty talk. After all, as Paul said, empty talkers, rebellious men, and deceivers are those within the church who need to be silenced. Paul addressed all three when writing. To Titus. And they're, they're so closely related because to know what God has said and not to do it is rebellious. To know and only pretend is empty. Even deceptive. And Paul told Titus, those who practice such things must be silenced. He instructed Titus to appoint elders in every city who could do just that. Men who could exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict those who said or did things that contradicted sound doctrine. Now, that is an awesome responsibility. And I'm certainly grateful that we have men who are qualified and willing to accept such responsibility. You know, it's never, it's never pleasant to confront someone with the fact that though they profess to know God, their deeds deny Him. But there are times when it has to be done, and that's one of the negative aspects of overseeing a church. But there are positive aspects as well. It's obviously a great joy to serve as a shepherd to God's people when helping them see and understand and accept the truth of God's word, and then to watch them put that truth into practice. What a joy it is to teach people who want to know God's word and who are willing to live it. And as he moves into the second chapter of his letter, Paul moves from the negative aspects of Christian leadership to the positive. And he focuses on what Titus is to teach. We pick up our study in chapter 2 of Titus. But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine now paul has just pointed out that some in the church profess to know god but deny him by their deeds and not wanting that to continue in the church he now tells titus to speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine the things that will encourage and enable the people in the church to put their faith into practice. And notice Paul didn't simply say, teach the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. He told Titus to speak them. You know, as a preacher and teacher, he was obviously expected to formally teach sound doctrine, but he was also to include sound doctrine in his general speech, in his informal conversation. Now, That does not mean everything he said was to sound like a theological treatise filled with deep thoughts, religious jargon, and pious platitudes. We've known people who spoke like that. It's not very effective. And nor was doctrine to be thought of something that is dry and boring. In fact, the word translated sound for sound doctrine actually means healthy. The word hygiene comes from it. Sound doctrine is healthy teaching. And healthy teaching obviously leads to healthy spiritual lives. Lives that honor the word of God. And Paul wanted Titus to talk openly and often about these things. And he goes on to briefly outline what healthy spiritual lives will look like for different groups within the church. Groups that differ according to age and sex and occupation. Now, what he has to say might surprise you. I'm sure many would assume that healthy spiritual lives would be pictured as lives of Prayer, Bible study, witnessing, attending worship services. But he doesn't mention any of those things. Not that they aren't important, only that they are not ends in themselves. They are means to an end desired end is a life that honors the Word of God by reflecting the difference God's Word makes. That is a healthy spiritual life. And Paul goes on then to describe what a healthy spiritual life looks like for older men, older women, younger women, younger men and bond slaves. We're going to look at the first 3 today under the theme of honoring the word of God and the last 2 in 2 weeks under the theme of adorning the doctrine of God. And this morning we begin by noting how older men are to honor the word of God. Titus 2:2 2, 2. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. Older men in the church are to be temperate, dignified, and sensible. Now, having just turned 65, this speaks to me. And it makes me a bit uncomfortable. I think I'm temperate and sensible most of the time. But I doubt my grandchildren would consider me dignified. In fact, Levi refers to me as his silly grandpa. And I certainly don't fit the King James picture of an aged man who is sober and grave. When I'm with my grandchildren and most everyone else, I'm anything but sober and grave. And you know, I'm not invited to go to movies because of a sober demeanor. I'm invited because I provide the laugh track. <laughs> now, maybe we better take a closer look at the words Paul uses to describe the older men who bring honor to the word of God. For my sake if not for yours. He begins with the word we've translated, temperate. Actually, sober is also a good translation, as the word was often used of one who is free from the influence of intoxicants, one who abstains from wine. If sober is viewed in that light, I have no problem there. A temperate man is one who is clear-headed, calm reasonable, who is moderate, not given to excesses or extremes. He's not one who's eccentric or reclusive or who holds the younger generation in contempt. A godly old man is not a crotchety old man. He's a man of recognizable dignity. And to be Dignified simply means to be worthy of respect. It doesn't mean haughty or stuffy or unapproachable. The word points to someone who is serious in purpose and respectful in conduct. He's not a foolish old man. On the contrary, he is sensible. The word means to be of sound mind, coming from words for to save And the mind, it's often translated as self-controlled. These character traits are important in older men in the church. Because older men are looked to as examples and leaders whether they hold office or not and they are expected to have outgrown the excesses and foolishness of youth. They are to be respected for the wisdom they have gained through the years, and should demonstrate a character that has been tempered by experience. They are thus to be sound in their faith, their love, and their perseverance. Their faith should be proven, strong, unshakable, made strong by God's faithfulness throughout the years. Their love for God and others should be well-known. Rather than becoming bitter and withdrawn, older Christian men should be like John, the son of thunder, who became the apostle of love. And they should be sound in perseverance. Rather than becoming impatient and touchy, They should be able to persevere because they have seen that God will give the grace necessary to accomplish what needs to be done. And God has been patient with them throughout the years. In short, older men in the church should be Christian gentlemen in the finest sense of the word. The years spent with Christ should have produced a Christ-likeness that is worthy of respect and a life that brings honor to the Word of God. The same should be true of older women. Verse 3. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good. Likewise, he says, likewise, the same things that are true of older men are to be true of older women. They too are to be temperate, dignified, and sensible, sound in faith, love, and perseverance. Or, as Paul put it, They are to be reverent in their behavior. They are to behave in ways that are befitting that which is sacred to God. They are to have the demeanor of a godly priestess. They are to be seen as saints of God, living lives that have been shaped by being in the presence of a holy God. Now, I almost hate to go on. Because Paul steps off the lofty plane and gets a little negative after saying older women are to be reverent. He mentions something Calvin referred to as the disease of women. Writing, talkativeness is a disease of women and it is increased by old age. Now Calvin said that, not Rick. Okay. <laughs> when Marilyn was typing up my outline, she says, "Oh, you're going to be in trouble, Sunday." <laughs> I don't believe I'll comment on what he had to say there, to <laughs> other than to note that Paul did specify that older women are to avoid the temptation of malicious gossip. Gossip. Something that may come from time on their hands, after the family is raised. And a tendency Paul mentioned in 1 Timothy 5 for women who have been freed from those responsibilities of homemaking to become what he calls busybodies. Be that as it may, gossip is something we all need to be concerned about, not just older women. You know, it seems to be a curious trait of human nature in general to want to hear and repeat malicious tales more than a tale to someone's credit. You know, when was the last time you just couldn't wait to get on the phone or text or tweet or whatever about something good someone did? Unless, of course, it was your kids. You know, if someone has defined gossip as sharing something you like about someone you don't. Obviously, that must be avoided by all of us. But if older women, if older women, are more prone to it than others, they need to be especially careful in this area. And, by all means, they are to avoid becoming enslaved to wine. You know, besides the other problems associated with drinking, it tends to loosen the tongue and lessen self-control. So it should be avoided by anyone who seeks to be reverent in their behavior. And then, to counter the idleness and emptiness that can typify old age, Paul says older women should be actively involved in teaching What is good. They have a lifetime of experience to share and can have a very special ministry to younger women. In fact, Paul doesn't tell Titus what he should teach younger women, instead, he tells him what he should have older women teach the younger women things they need to know and do if their lives are to honor the word of God. He continues in verses 4 and 5, that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be dishonored. Paul says older women are to encourage younger women to love their husbands and their children encourage not discourage i'm sure they could share depressing tales about insensitive husbands and disobedient children they could easily throw cold water on a young woman's hopes and dreams but that's not what she needs she needs encouragement to love her husband and children because it's not always easy to love someone you live with. The young women, young Christian women in Crete were of special need of such encouragement. Marriages were arranged by parents and children were often produced without their consent just to make more laborers for the field. But even in our day, young wives and mothers need to be encouraged to love their husbands and children and who could better do it than older women who have seen god bring unexpected blessings out of less than perfect family relationships you know what young mother wouldn't benefit from a grandmother a physically related one or a spiritually related one to help her keep it all together <laughs> To help her remain calm and sensible in the midst of family meltdowns. can remind her that God can bring good out of any situation committed to him. And that he will give the grace needed to make it through anything. Younger women are also to be encouraged to remain pure in life and in heart, to avoid the temptation to fantasize about a marriage or a life that is much more romantic than the one they find themselves in. It's not easy being a wife and mother. And it's not very exciting being a worker at home. However, it's been stated, consecration is what makes drudgery divine. So with a proper encouragement, a woman can make even housework into a divine mission. And the making of a home is without a doubt a divine mission. That is not to suggest that only women are to do housework, or that the making of a home is solely the woman's responsibility. But if a young mother has been given the opportunity to stay at home and focus all her attention on the making of a home, older women should encourage it, not discourage it, or demean it, or minimize Its importance. Lastly, Paul says young women in particular are to be subject to their own husbands. Now, older women may no longer have husbands, but it's assumed that younger women will, so they are specifically instructed to be subject to their husbands. Now, we've talked about the need for subjection in the home before. So there's no need to go into the reasons for it again. Let it suffice to say that to fail to do so dishonors the word of God. Like it or not, God has ordered the home. And he has given the responsibility of headship to husbands. Christian women. We'll respect that order and encourage it in each other. Encourage each other to abide by it. In fact, we must all honor the word of God by obeying it, whether we like it or not. It's not enough to simply teach it. We honor the Word of God by living it. Now, being a Bible-teaching church means nothing if we're not a Bible-living church. And that is true for the young and the old, the men and the women. All of us must live lives of obedience to God's word, if we would honor him and his word. May we all commit ourselves to lives of trusting obedience. let stand.